Hey, welcome to Life According to God, where we have conversations revolving around the many colorful characters in the Bible and how God's influence shaped their lives, their families, and their societies. My prayer is that as you listen, you will glean one or two powerful ideas that will transform your own life too. This is Olaomi Brigway, your host. Welcome to the final episode of my study of the life of Stephen. Even though we were only briefly introduced to Stephen as a person, I mean, um, I think there were only two chapters essentially in the whole Bible that talks about Stephen. Stephen was a phenomenal human being and he's definitely someone whose life is worth, worth studying and drawing insights from as the Holy Spirit shows us as relating to our own personal lives. Now, I've done two episodes and I've shared different insights, but there's one more insight that I'm going to be sharing in today's episode. And I've left this one till last because it is one of the most profound insights that I've seen in the Bible. And I try, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit to live my life in this way with every opportunity that I'm given. And in order to build enough context into this, for me to be able to present the insights in a well-rounded way, I'm actually going to deviate a little bit from the life of Stephen and go to another story in the Bible, which is the story of Peter, Ananias, and Sapphira, and then swing back to what happened towards the end of Stephen's life in order to really, really bring out this insight. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Thank you for sticking with me throughout these three episodes of Studying the Life of Stephen, and we'll definitely be back with another Life According to God. Okay, so I'm going to start in Acts chapter 5. There are two key stories between Acts 5 and Acts 7, and that's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, (laughs) very popular story in the Bible, not for the right reasons. (laughs) And of course, the story of Stephen. So Acts chapter 5, I'm reading a New Living Translation from verse 1. And then it says, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, (laughs) why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard those words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked, was this the price you and your husband received from for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? 
the young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, the Bible says in Acts 5, 11, so verse 11, that great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Hmm. I won't lie. See, this story of Ananias and Sapphira, I've had an issue with it <laughs> since I was a baby Christian. Because I'm like, ah, what kind of thing is this one? Can they just fall down and die like that? I mean, where's the mercy? Where's and I just was never really fully comfortable with how it ended. At the end of the day, Peter is not a role model. He was an apostle. He worked with Jesus. He was someone that was very important in modern day Christianity, etc., etc. With everything that he was and who he was, is not our ultimate guide. Jesus Christ is our ultimate guide. And when we think about how Jesus related with us as human beings, and how do we know that? We look at the way he related with the human beings on earth at the time. It was always mercy that Jesus showed. In fact, there was a particular situation where some of his disciples were walking along the road and something happened. I don't remember exactly what happened. I think some kids were, some people were, yes, I think some, some of the Pharisees or whatever were basically resisting Jesus and maybe shouting out abuse and essentially ran them out of town. And the disciples were like, oh, let's call down fire on them exactly the same way Elisha did. So Elisha, a very powerful prophet of God, there was a time where a couple of kids, a few kids were basically, I think he was bald and they were making fun of his bald head. And Elisha literally called out fire these two little, and fire consumed them. So the disciples are like, Master, let us call down fire on these guys that are resisting us, that are shouting out all these curse words and abuse at us, um, like Elisha did. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus rebukes them. Just like, do you don't know the kind of spirits that you have? Don't you know that you have a different spirit which is interesting because elisha was operating by the spirit of god so he wasn't saying that oh elisha was operating under a demonic influence he was not he was operating under the same spirit but he was saying the character and the nature of the spirit of god if you remove anointing okay because we can do things and achieve results etc by anointing but if you put the anointing the power aside the underlying character of God is mercy and it is love. Love is the nature of God. So Jesus is trying to teach them that even when there is blatant wrongdoing, the ultimate response, if you really want to be like God, is mercy and love. And to corroborate what Jesus said, the Bible says in Romans, where Paul writing to the Roman church said to them, he said, it is the kindness of God. So it's not like God is slack. It's not like God is like a as we say in Nigeria, a mumu, like he can't rise up and judge the whole world and send the plague and wipe us all out. Said so the reason why God is long suffering is because his kindness is leading us towards repentance. God persistently shows kindness to human beings, even when we don't deserve it, because he wants us to see that ah, this person is kind and merciful. And as a result of that, it will lead us towards repentance. So I've always sort of had a problem with the fact that instant judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira. But I would just read it and say, okay, fine, instant judgment and move on and not really being able to draw 
something out of it to apply to my own life, which was a problem for me because every part of the Bible is for instruction, for teaching, for inspiration, etc. as the Bible says. But I was, as I was reading through Acts 5, 6, 6 and 7, in the same breath as reading about Ananias and Sapphira, I came across Stephen. Now, here's the contrast. Stephen, as we know, so if you start reading from six all the way into seven, Stephen was appointed a deacon and he was serving faithfully in the church. And then he got to a point where he was cornered by a few religious people and they started sort of harassing him and saying, what is this Christianity that you're talking about? Who is this Jesus? And Stephen basically starts to preach and he starts to tell them about Jesus. It starts from the Old Testament to line by line teaching about the fact that Jesus is not just some random person that just showed up. The Bible prophesied about him from the beginning, etc. But then he got to the point where the crowd got so riled up that they just basically were so angry, so riled up that they picked up stones and began to stone him. Now I want you to look at how Stephen responded to these guys. Yes, the Bible says so all the way in Acts chapter 7, verse 59 now, it says that as they stoned him. Now, there is no question whether these guys were definitely doing something wrong. I mean, lying to the Holy Spirit and picking up stones to stone somebody to death. I mean, human beings, we sort of categorize sin. Sin is sin. We should not categorize sin because in God's eyes, sin is sin. But if we put on our human beings sort of reasoning faculty and we say we want to categorize somebody lying and stealing holding back money that they should release versus somebody picking up stones to stone somebody will probably say ah stoning somebody is of much more gravity right yet look at this even though judgment should have come to these guys because they picked up stones and they stoned somebody that was innocent and doing the work of the Lord. Stephen prayed and he said, the Bible says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. So he literally prayed for them. He prayed for them as they were stoning him. He was saying they're doing something wrong. They're definitely doing something wrong. If I caught in the act, there's no two ways about it. These guys are sinning and there should be a certain level of judgment that should come upon them for shedding innocent blood. But whilst they were doing that, he prayed. He actually made intercession as they were draining the life out of him. Now, the interesting thing about that is, and I did not see this until my pastor actually mentioned it, I think in his sermon about two or three weeks ago do you know that the if you go on to acts chapter 8 which is literally the next verse acts 8 1 the bible says that saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of stephen so the bible says that they laid their coats at the feet of saul and etc etc and then saul went on to be persecuting the church do you know that when stephen prayed and said god don't lay to that child do you know saul was included in that prayer so the kind of judgment because if you shed innocent blood like ah well judgment is coming to find and sit upon your life this guy prayed as life as his blood was literally being drained from him he made that intercession for every single person present there including Saul. that intercession had a hand in jesus christ showing up to redeem Saul. 
It was the intercession of Stephen. I mean, Saul was far gone. If you want to talk about extremists, the kind that today will probably go and put bombs somewhere and bombs. Saul was that kind of person. So if he was that far gone and he, if he had such extremist views about Christianity, but the intercession of Stephen caused Jesus himself to show up and save Saul. Ah, you got me thinking like, now if you look at, if you compare Ananias and Sapphira versus Stephen and Saul, if I were to choose, if God said, okay, choose which this day, which way you want to relate to human beings, I certainly would not choose the way Peter related with Ananias and Sapphira because instant judgment came to those guys and that was the end of it. For them, there was no mercy. Different people say, you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. What? How is lying to the Holy Spirit worse than picking up stones and stoning somebody to death? I don't think it was gravity of the sin. I think it was more of the person that was sitting and judging that situation because Peter didn't even say, ah, and Nanias just fell down and he died. Ah, let us intercede, let us intercede. Let's try and raise him from the dead. It was like, next. <laughs> Safira came and said, they're coming to carry you two out. You two are going to die. And literally his words were so powerful because if you if you read the next verses after that, the words of Peter did not fall to the ground. And I believe that mercy could have prevailed over judgment in that situation. Comparing it to how Stephen handled the situation that was even detrimental to his own life. I mean, we could take it back and forth and say, well, maybe Peter was trying to stop it from eating into the church. or what. It doesn't matter. We can argue on the other end that somebody being stoned to death, right, can also scatter the church. So I really don't think it was a matter of, okay, the gravity of the sin that was committed. I think it was Peter basically saying that, ah, can you lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is so precious to me, etc. And literally, you know, he executed that judgment. Um, we do not see that happening again anywhere in the Bible. The fact that it was a one-off means that ideally, if we follow the life of Jesus, the way he related with human beings, God would rather have us show mercy than execute judgment. We have every right to execute judgment and say, how can you do this? How can you do this? How can you do this? We're wrong. However, God is a merciful God and his disposition towards every human being is that he wants to demonstrate mercy and love. So I'm basically building an argument as to showing mercy to people as opposed to executing judgment, especially when you feel like the person deserves it. Regardless of the gravity of a sin, it wasn't about the gravity of a sin. It is about the character of the person that we call Lord. And that is Lord Jesus Christ. And his character is love and of mercy. Jesus demonstrated that throughout. The woman caught in the very act of adultery, they said she deserves to be stoned. Jesus said, no. She will not be stoned. I'm going to show her mercy. So that's on one level. The second argument that I want to present as to showing mercy to people, even when you are blatantly wrong or they have sinned, quote and unquote, as opposed to judgment, is this. Do you know that somebody literally falling, two people falling down and dying in front of you, in front of Peter, was a huge sign, 
Now, what was the effect prior to this Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter three, Acts chapter four, there had been other signs as well. So the first sign was when they all started speaking in tongues and people that were gathered were hearing them speak in their own individual languages. The Bible says that Peter, as a result of that sign, he preached and was it 3000 people that were added to the church. The second time there was a huge sign was when they healed the man at the beautiful gate. He preached and 5,000 people were added to the church. But this massive sign where two people literally just fell down and died like that, a huge sign. Did the Bible say that people were added to the church? No, it doesn't say that. What was the result of this huge quote-unquote miraculous sign? It says great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. He didn't then say great fear gripped them and then 10,000 people were added to the church. Who wants to go and join the church where he can afford her dying? <laughs> Do you see what I mean? What was the end result of this miraculous sign of executing instant judgment on two people that had sinned? Fear. It says fear, not just normal fear. It says great fear gripped them. And he didn't go on to say now that great fear led to the church being built that people were just rushing to come in and say i want to ah this god is so powerful i want to join no nobody joined as a result of that miraculous sign which was a, a pattern that was broken because prior to that every time a huge miraculous sign was executed through peter people joined the church in droves so it shows that there was something a little bit off with how that situation ended and then going back to stephen who we're comparing this with the intercession the way stephen handled that situation of him being stoned and he made intercession for the people that were present he produced a paul from his soul and we know that paul went on to evangelize almost the civilized most of the civilized world at that time it led to probably millions of people being born again as a result of how stephen responded in mercy he said don't lay to that charge don't kill them because they killed me <laughs> is basically what he was saying mercy is always god's preferred response to human beings mercy and that's why he sent jesus christ so that he could bear the punishment of our judgment of our wrongdoings and our sins upon himself so as i begin to wrap up like i said ananias and Sapphira clearly did something wrong they lied to the Holy Spirit. It was their money to keep, but they lied, they deceived, they did all these things. Granted. Did they deserve the judgment? Yes. But could there have been another way? Could that have been a teaching moment for Peter to say, you guys, oh, no, 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 this is wrong. You don't behave like this. Come here, sit down. Let me teach you how you behave. You could have used word of K, word of knowledge, to show them that I know you lied. Oh, yeah, come and sit down here. Let me teach you how to do this thing. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. It's wrong. Don't let money control you, etc. Go and let see how Judas ended up. It could have been a teaching moment, but literally instant judgment. Now, somebody may clearly and outrightly deserve judgment the way Ananias and Sapphira did. But you have to pause and ask yourself, number one, this thing that I'm about to do, is it being done out of love? Or is it being done purely out of this is wrong and you deserve judgment? Because once you begin to that path, 
you have deviated because that is not the character and the nature of God. And I'll explain. There will be situations where it is the act of love to report the person. It is the act of love to cut the person off or to bring some kind of punishment or discipline because it would be actually injurious to the person if you say nothing. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not saying, I'm not advocating, oh, never do anything, always just cover up. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sitting and reflecting and saying, what would love do in this situation? What is the motivation behind this thing that I'm about to do? Yes, they may deserve it because of what they've done, but is it an act of love or is it an act of punishment? Are you literally putting yourself in the position of judge, jury, and executioner and saying this is what they deserve, they need to be dealt with, etc. The other side of that is you could ask that question and love would say, ah, if you do not put some disciplinary measures in place for this person, they're heading down the path of destruction. I'll use parenting as an example. You see your child behaving a certain way, being rude, etc., and you say, oh, leave him, now he's a small boy. Oh, leave her now, he'll grow out of it, that one. That's not love. Do you understand? That's all love. You have to say, ah, in 10 years' time, if this is not corrected, if we don't put certain disciplinary measures in place for this child, what are they going to be like in 10 years' time? Pausing to ask that question, to say, what is the motive behind this action that I'm going to take? Don't ever do anything out of purely, this is what they did, this is what they deserve. Do you understand? Don't, don't, don't ever say, oh, they lied, so they deserve to be cut off. No, not necessarily. What is the Holy Spirit? What is love asking you to do in that situation? That's the first question. And the second question, as I said, every miraculous sign that Peter carried out prior to that led to the increase of the church. This one, Ananias and Sapphira, where it was a miraculous sign, two people just fell down dead, just like that. What did it lead to? It says great fear gripped the church and it didn't say anything about anybody added. So it just resulted in people being like afraid, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like they, Some may have even run away from the place. I said, eh, you mean this thing is like this? Me, I don't, I'm not doing Christianity again. I'm going back to uh, Judaism. So the second measuring stick you want to use is if whatever action I want to take, what is it going to lead to? What will be the outcome of this action that I'm about to take? Is it going to create value for human beings as a result of it? Remembering that Jesus had every opportunity to judge people, to send down lightning, even when he was on the cross. He could have destroyed the whole world with one word. And God would have honored his word because he was God. He could have called out angels and wiped out those, <laughs> wiped out the smirk from the faces of all those people. I say, hey, how you like me now? You know that song? How do you like me now? And wipe them out. Those I say, come down from the cross. You see, you say, he could have literally just, been floating on that cross and gotten off and, you know, burned the whole place down. They were burning. They'd be like, he'll be like, do you believe I'm the Messiah now? Do you believe? <laughs> he could have done all that stuff, but he stayed there and he prayed. He made intercession the same way Stephen did. 
and Stephen's intercession for something as grievous as picking up a stone to to stone somebody to death led to a Saul becoming a Paul and as a result of that probably millions of people all over the world became born again 